we're so grateful for this five minutes that we get to set aside, and we know that we try to spend time with you throughout the week, and we can feel rushed and hurried, Lord, but we know that we shouldn't. And so we look forward to this time on Sunday mornings, and we have five minutes just to set aside, and almost to me, like, take a, just a deep breath and just relax for a couple minutes and spend time with you. And that's what this is about, Lord, is taking time and spending it with you. So many prayer concerns, Lord, that we lift up to you, each and every one of those that we know that that you know that are heavy on our hearts, Lord, or that are just right there that, that we know, Lord. There's so many prayers that are spoken and unspoken, Lord. And as we think about the people in our congregation, Lord, I, I lift up Jim Richardson to you and, and his leg, Lord. May he... Just continue to recover well from this surgery that he had, Lord. And pray for Sue as well as she cares for him, Lord. May your peace come upon both of them. And may this recovery go quickly and smoothly, Lord. And we also pray over Megan uh, Caputo and all that she has going on, Lord. Uh, we know that you're with her, Lord, but we just continue to lift up this family to you. Once again, may your peace come upon them and may your healing touch come upon them, Lord. Uh, and we pray for Jan as well this week as as he has this upcoming surgery. Um, may you be with the doctors as they go in and perform the surgery, Lord. Uh, I know that they're not worried, uh, but Lord, may you just bring that peace upon them and be with the doctors in wisdom and them operating and doing all that they need to do for Jan to be better and just be completely back to better than normal, Lord. So we lift this up and so many more people that we know and love to you. We thank you, Lord, for your love upon us. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yeah, good morning once again. Just wanted to share really quick that Christy and I did have a fantastic time in Hawaii. We thank you all for your prayers, uh, for safe travel and the time out there together. Uh, the last day that we were there, we were kind of driving around and weren't really sure what to do because we had kind of done everything on our list that we wanted to do. And we had a Jeep, so we were able to drive down and we found a beach that was kind of off the beaten path. It was a four-wheel drive path that we had to go down and we got there, and we sent the picture off to our youth group, and we're like, look at this really cool beach. There's some rocks here, and it's just really neat. And then our adult leaders sent the picture back and said, we must have just missed you because we were all there too. And they took their pictures of them and put them on the, on the beach as well. So it was just kind of neat that uh, able to talk a little bit with them. I didn't have the picture up there. I had it up there last night. Sorry. Maybe at the end we'll, we'll grab it and throw it up there so you guys can see it. Um, yeah, so it was a fantastic week for Christy and I to be able to get away and just relax a little bit and spend some time with the Lord as well and, and his beautiness. So. Um, it, it amazes me that when I see the beauty all around us, how people cannot say that there's a creator, that God created all this and he created it for us and it's just so neat to see. So, A um, couple of announcements we have today. We have February 21st, Summer Day Camp Meeting at 630 so all of you, we one of our big outreaches for the summer is to do summer day camp, to put that on for the people in our community. And this is the first of the meetings that we're going to have. If you have more questions, you want to know more about it, before then you can either talk to Kevin or Jennifer. They're the ones that kind of spearhead all this. So go ahead and go ask them questions. But that will be the first meeting. We'd love to have you come out to that. Also then, March 1st and 2nd, how many of you in this room right now are part of our Alpha series that we've been doing. Yeah, most of us, right? With that, March 1st and 2nd, we're going to have a special Alpha weekend. So that's going to be Friday night from 6 to 9, and then Saturday morning from 9 to noon. We're asking that everybody that's a part of Alpha, even if you're not a part of Alpha and you'd like to join us, you're more welcome to do that as well. But we're going to set aside those two days to really spend some extra time uh, together and as well learning about what the series is that we're doing. So... Um, yeah, I want to read our scripture now. Today we're going to get into Mark 7, 1 through 23, so it's a little bit longer scripture this morning. We're going to be reading through the CSB version. So the traditions of the elders. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing keeping the tradition of the elders. When they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and kept. 
heap, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribe asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating bread with a ceremonial, unclean hand? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you, hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands, abandoning the command of God. You hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, as you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house, away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, you, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Uh, Our junior church, if you'd like to be dismissed, and then we'll pray for Kevin as he comes up and gives our message. Lord, we just thank you so much for this message that Kevin's going to deliver, Lord. We pray that it's not Kevin's words that he's speaking, Lord, but it's your words that we hear, Holy Spirit, as you speak through him. We pray also for for Kevin, if there's something as he's speaking, Lord, that he needs to change or alter, that he'll receive that from you, Lord, and that he'll do that throughout the message. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Josh. All right, so we're going to be talking about tradition today. Um, Man, that's a loaded word, isn't it? Um, Immediately, I think a number of things jump into our minds, right? Uh, For me, whenever I hear the word tradition, I always immediately go to Christmas. It's just, it's the the time for tradition, right? It's the time for, for things that are unique to each of our individual families and maybe a whole host of other things. Maybe you've got Easter traditions coming up that you're really excited about. Um, you know, maybe some of us have traditions that need to die because they're just stale or old or we're just doing them and nobody likes them, you know, whatever the case is. But we're going to be talking about um, how in this religion of Judaism, um, the leadership was creating traditions and holding on to traditions that were contrary to what God's heart was. And so we're going to really kind of work towards unpacking that this morning. But you might have noticed if you're the, if you're the very, um, in, you know, observable, observation-oriented person. You might have noticed, Kevin, where was, where was verse, uh, was it 16? Who, who, who caught that? A few of you caught that? Um, yeah, there's no verse 16 in the text. You went from 15 to 17, right? Um, does verse, did verse 16 disappear? Did we erase it out of the scriptures? <laughs> we ought not to do that. No, that did not happen. Um, verse numbers historically came into existence, if, if you will, on, on manuscripts, uh, during the Middle Ages period of time, uh, much, much later. So after our earliest manuscripts, we decided to put verse numbers on. And um, over the course of time, as uh, critical scholarship has increased, uh, we, uh, we've noticed that verse 16 doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible, of, of, of Mark's gospel. And so the earliest, which are typically the, you know, the closest to the source, which means most reliable, Typically, there's a lot to it to unpack, but typically it's closest to the source, most reliable. They're not found in it. And so we think that maybe it was added on later. 
the verse simply reads, if you look at, the, if you have the King James Bible, they keep it in there. Um, it simply reads, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, or if you have ears to hear, you know, listen. And so, so that's what the verse is. If you notice, why did it jump from 15 to 17? That's the fill in the blanks there for you. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that we see Jesus use uh, a couple times elsewhere in the New Testament. But um, whether you want to say, I think that should be in there or not, uh, that's a discussion for maybe after the service. So today, we're leaving chapter 6 behind, we're jumping into chapter 7, and it's a little bit of a standalone uh, passage of Scripture. In other words, there's no specific context that helps us understand exactly where it is in Jesus' ministry, but here it is, and here's where we're going. So here's our outline today, very simple, and we're going to spend 95% of our time on the first point. Um, Not that the second point's not important, it's actually very important, but just for the sake of time, it's impossible to cover 23 verses in detail you know, very well. So um, God's commands are greater than human tradition. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. But again, the second point is also very critical, which is our hearts are evil and need cleansed. And so we will also, of course, talk about that, which is what Jesus, how he explains what the, the elders were, or the, the religious leaders were doing. So um, let's, let's read the first four verses again. And here's what we're going to find first point of the first four verses. Human tradition may start out with good intentions, but ultimately it leads people astray. So let's dive into the first four verses once again. It reads, The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of the disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed, And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. Okay, so so that's our context, right? So there are a couple things we've got to understand. First, what is this about clean and unclean? Like, right, um, you know, right here in verse 2, what does it it mean that they have unclean hands? That is unwashed hands. Um, But is that exactly all that they were talking about there? No, it was, it was that their hands literally weren't washed, but also there's also a religious significance to this idea, a, a mosaic law significance to this idea of being clean or unclean, right? And so it, it really referred to, this idea of being clean or unclean, referred to being fit or unfit for religious or ceremonial worship. So there were certain things that the, that the people were called to do, to worship God, to pray to perform sacrifices and offerings, to bring offerings to the temple. And if you read the book of Leviticus especially, there's other places as well, but especially in Leviticus, it outlines in detail all sorts of laws about whether or not how you should understand if you're clean or unclean. And, um, you know, for instance, if if a man has a discharge from his body or a woman is dealing with her time of bleeding, um, you'd be ceremonially unclean for a time. Same if you had a certain skin disease or if you touched a dead body, you're unclean for a period of time until, you know, depending on the situation, you have to wait a certain period of time, go to the elders or the priests for examination so that then you could, again, um, be reinstituted into the, uh, the ceremonial religious society. Now, these laws were especially for the Israelites during their time of desert wandering and through the time of the temple worship. Uh, during their time of exile, right? There was no temple. Temple had been destroyed. People are gone. They're, they're somewhere else. They're, they're, there is no temple for them to go to to do these things or to, to practice the law. And so during that time, they obviously had to adjust how they worshiped God. Um, but fast forward to Jesus here, okay? Because now we're, we're living in the time of Jesus. Jesus has instituted new principles and practices and established a new covenant. So what does that mean? For Jesus, now he respected and kept the law completely. So he followed all of the, the religious situation of uh, uh, Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. All the law that, all that the law required, Jesus kept. So if, if Jesus would have happened to get a skin disease, he would have had to follow all of the, the procedures so that he could participate in the festivals at the temple. But however, he also started to teach a different idea of cleanness and uncleanness, didn't he? Uh, as we'll see, especially at the end of our text this morning. Um, Okay, hand washing. Where did this come from? Because it says here that um, that the the Pharisees here and the scribes, they were concerned, right, that the disciples were eating unwashed, right? 
And, um, you know, so it, what's the problem here, right? Now, there is nowhere in the, in the law, the, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, that says that you have to wash your hands before eating. There, there is a law that, that Jewish people will point to in, ex, uh, I think it's in Exodus, um, where they're detailing that Aaron, the high priest, and his sons have to wash before presenting an offering in the temple. Um, however, that only applied specifically to them, not to the whole people. So this was an oral tradition. This was a teaching of the religious leaders and probably has been, has been, had been so for centuries. This, this had probably been a very ingrained kind of a teaching, right? Because it says in the text that all the Jews, all the people, it was just like, this is just what you do. You just, before you eat, you just wash. And, um, and there was probably a whole reason behind it. And, and usually when the, the, with the oral traditions of the Jewish people, there, there was good reason for it in the beginning because they wanted to make sure, especially their laws concerning Sabbath day, right? Um, we're all, I think a lot of us who have been in the church circles are pretty familiar with a lot of the teaching on Sabbath and how the Jewish people had all these laws like, oh, you, you can only walk so many steps and you can, you can only do this, you can only do that. And, and they created hundreds of specific sets of laws um, so that you wouldn't break the Sabbath. And so they had laws to protect you from breaking the law. And pretty soon, the laws that they had set up to prevent you from breaking the law of God became law of God, even though it wasn't the law of God. But it became that because that's how the teachers taught. And so this created, of course, a sense of burden on the people. The seriousness of Jewish handwashing was quite intense. Um, uh, commentator David Guzik from Blue Letter Bible, it's, it's a great resource, um, he says this about Jewish handwashing. He says a really strict Jew would do this not only before the meal, but even between each course of the meal. And the rabbis were deadly serious about this. They said that bread eaten with unwashed hands was no better than excrement. Yeah, how about that? I mean, I, I still think it's probably better than excrement, but, and that's personal opinion. But, um, you know, one, one rabbi who once failed to perform this ritual washing was excommunicated. Another rabbi was imprisoned by the Romans, and he used his ration of water for ceremonially uh, cleansing rather than drinking, nearly dying of thirst. And he was regarded as a great hero for this sacrifice. Um, now, I, I didn't check his sources. He didn't cite his sources, so I don't know if those are true stories or if those are just things he made up. I, wouldn't, I would assume he, he got them from uh, real sources. But you can tell it's a big deal to Jewish culture to wash the hands and to, to do these things, right? These were human traditions that were set up on high as being in, incredibly significant. So what's the point? The intention of the law was not to have people focused on the law. The intention of God giving the law was to have people focused on him, his holiness, his greatness, his mercy and forgiveness. That's, that was the intention of the giving of the law. Now, the people were required to do all the things that the law said, to, you know, to, to do the things that maybe we look at now and say, well, that's a lot of hoops to kind of jump through. God said, yes, that's important that we do this. You are to be set apart and distinct from the rest of the world. And so this is what that looks like for you at this time. But the purpose of it was to, was to connect with the heart of God and the truth of God. And the Jewish leaders' hearts were probably in the right place when they started putting in these hand-washing rituals. They probably specifically thought of the holiness of God and they thought, man, we should honor God's holiness and be as pure and as clean as possible. And it probably was a genuine act of worship when they started this, this these traditions. But good intentions lead to slowly a degradation of focus. And that's, that's what happens with tradition, doesn't it? When we, when we start things with good intentions, but then we soon forget the reason why we do it, and then it becomes something of doctrine. And we, then we start guarding it, and we start protecting it, and then it becomes our baby. And you better not touch the tradition because that's what's important, not the actual reason why it was set up in the first place. So they fail to understand that God didn't want them to take their step, his law, a few steps further in place. And so they became unnecessarily legalistic. And so here we have tradition gone wrong. And Jesus continues to expound on it, as we're going to see as in verse 5 here. Um, the second point here, point B, is a religious devotion to human traditions always leads to judgmentalism. So not only does it 
cause you to lose focus on what really matters, now you're adding and compiling your wrongdoing when you set up traditions and you hold on to them and guard them because now it turns from just missing the point to making other people miss the point and judging other people and saying, well, you don't do, why don't you do this? Which is what we have here with the Pharisees and scribes. So they, so they said to him, they said to Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? Why don't, why don't you do this good thing, this, this right thing? Um, can, can you sense a little bit of pride maybe in, in this? Do you see them a little bit with their noses up in the air? Like, why don't you do this? Right? Religious leaders uh, emphasize the traditions they formed from a legalistic approach to God's word at the expense of the heart and the intention of God's word. And so what does that mean for us today? How is it maybe that, uh, that we tend to be legalistic? What human traditions have we set up that we tend to judge others for. And, and, I, and I actually specifically want you to think about this, like very practically. What are some of the dynamics, maybe even here in this church, that we've set up that, you know, we've just missed because we've been in it? And I mean, I've been here for 15 years, and boy, I, I imagine there's a whole lot that I don't see just because I'm in it every day. And so I really, I really actually want to encourage you to think about that very practically and even you know, and even let me know if you're like, yeah, Kevin, you know what? I feel like there's a little bit of a, this kind of a problem going on at the church where we are emphasizing something that's not really God's word. I'll just give you a few examples of some things that I've observed um, in the past. Some people can walk into churches and if, uh, if they're not using, I'm just going to pick on this one particularly, but if they're not using the King James Version Bible or if they're not dressed a certain way, they're treated the same as the Pharisees and scribes did to Jesus and his disciples. No, no, don't you understand that that, that, that Bible that you're carrying isn't the, isn't the word of God? I have the word of God. And it's not based on the truth. It's based on their tradition. Or something like dressing a certain way. Did God, did God tell us how to dress? Did Jesus say, when you gather as the church, make sure you dress this way? Now, we understand why, right? People dressed up historically to church. Why? For good reason. We are going to the house of God. Let us present ourselves as best as we can for the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a really beautiful thing. I love that heart. The problem with that heart is because it turns into something that it ought not to be, which is we are setting up a standard here that we dress like this, and if you don't dress like this, you're not welcome. Right? It creates a psychological dynamic within the church that says, oh, if, I'm not, if I don't have my suit and tie on, and it's incredible, the, the percentages of people who don't even own a suit and tie that wouldn't be welcome in churches if they came, as I am. And there would be people who would throw stones at me right now, preaching in jeans. What are you doing? I know, right? That's terrible. How about, let, let, me, let me push some buttons on this one. Um, how about the tradition that we set up for ourselves that, uh, that you have to be a Republican to be a Christian? Right? Well, Jesus was a Republican. He would, he would be a Republican today if he was on this earth. Would he? Would he? No, I'm not saying he'd be a Democrat. <laughs> but would he, be a, would he align himself with a political party? No. I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so. But we sometimes pretend as if that's the case, where anyone who identifies different than we do or has an idea that's different than our political infatuations, all of a sudden, that person, how dare they, and they can't be a Christian, and they this, and they that, and, and we just slander. It's like, oh, what are we doing? To go even further into our button pushing, how about during COVID times, right? How could a Christian say that you have to wear a mask? How can a Christian say that you, that, that you don't wear a mask? That's terrible. And you had genuine Christians on both sides of the extreme polars saying, you know, diff completely different things. Like, you can't be a Christian if you did. And it's like, we hold up our personal values as doctrine. Church, that ought not to be the case. 
Let us be patient with each other. Let us have a sensitivity to the fact that there are some people that have some differences of opinion that have nothing to do with the Word of God, or very little. Sometimes, sometimes these conversations do have a lot to do with the Word of God, and so we have, to, we have to have the conversation and have it well, have it respectfully and carefully and thoughtfully, with love, not quick to slander and judge and to malign each other, but to edify and encourage So we can tend to put up all these ridiculous externals, right? These traditions of men, if you will. And we sometimes emphasize those above the very heart of God. We spend more time talking about these temporal, external, naturalistic things more so than the actual heart and desire and calling of God. And so church, that ought not to be the case. And I think we know that. But sometimes we need to really kind of take the eyeballs <laughs> off of, you know, off of, off of our situations and actually look inside and say, boy, are, are, am I guilty of some of this kind of a mentality? A am I guilty of legalism? Am I guilty of slandering other Christians or other people for different viewpoints or beliefs on things? So what do you think? What human traditions have you seen in your distant past, your near past, currently maybe, that you have seen that have been elevated maybe right up to the, God's very word or at least close to it? Anyone have anything? Do, you, do you, anyone have anything on the tip of your tongue? You're like, man, Kevin, I think this is an important one for us to talk about. Some pretty good ones? Okay, good, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> oh, the Christmas tree issue. Oh, man, Dan, you just jumped right into a, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Christmas tree Halloween, right? We can just, we can just roll out all the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, we're not going to get into those right now, but uh, no, good one. Okay, the, yeah, the issue of the social, social gospel and, and social justice movement and how should we think about that and all sorts of different things. Yeah, health, wealth, and, and whatnot, gospel. and Yeah, good, good thought. A lot of different aspects to that. We have to be very careful, right, don't we, when we t approach the Word of God. Okay, yeah, j just, just in general, right? We are just not focusing on the heart of God sometimes. Yeah, that's good. And yeah, especially prayer. Yeah, maybe we're overly focused on, you know, on other things. Good. All right, well, we'll keep, keep churning in your mind about those things. Really look in. Take some time today to really ask yourself, boy, where have I gone away from the Word of God? And I, I'm, I'm more passionate and more excitable about the things that actually, I wonder if Jesus actually cares about that. Or I wonder if he cares as much as I do if he wants me to care this much. How about this one? Sometimes even our approach to God's word can even become a tradition of men if we're not careful. Even the way we approach God's word and come to it can become a tradition. And, and, and I have to be careful here because I don't want like, to be, be slanderous of other people. But I do think we have to call out some things where we're, where we're maybe sometimes going a little too far with things. Right? Like yesterday, I was talking to the ministry team leaders about this, and we were talking about how, like, look, I, we've been doing verse-by-verse -verse preaching a lot, and I think it's a good and responsible and wise way to go through the Bible, is to take the Bible and to go verse-by-verse, -verse, making sure that you're teaching the whole counsel of God. I think that's wisdom. That's a healthy tradition. But let us be careful. Right? Let us be careful not to say, if we step into a church that's preaching topically, oh, I can't go to that church. They did a topical sermon today. They are not faithful to the word of God. Because those are the conversations that are being had in Christian circles. Why? Why do we do this kind of a thing? It's silly. A few signs that you may have fallen into a legalistic approach to God's word. Uh, first, when you, when you pick and choose and focus on certain Bible passages while de-emphasizing others. That's a sign that you may have fallen into a legalistic approach to God's word. You've got those pet passages, right, of the Bible, where you're, you're quick to whip them out because you're really good with them, right? You have found obedience and adherence to those passages, and you really like them because they resonate with your spirit. And at the same time, while you're emphasizing those, you are avoiding certain other ones, right? Come on. We do this. Let's be honest. At least we're prone to want to do it. 
There are passages in the Scripture where we're like, ooh, I don't know about that one. Uh, Secondly, another sign that you may have fallen into a legalistic approach to God's Word. When you prioritize orthodoxy, which is the correctness of God's truth, above orthopraxy, which is the correctness of how we are to live. You say, it is more important, we've got to believe right, and we've got to think right, and we've got to have truth, and truth, and truth, and, and lifestyle flies under the radar, and all of a sudden, sins and behaviors and thoughts and relationships aren't as important. But boy, I know all the doctrine. I've got a theological degree, and I can tell you all the points of all these different perspectives, and your knowledge is it's repulsive to God when you don't live it out. Now, your knowledge is a beautiful thing when you do live it out, and we need to understand that before you can live something out, you've got to know something, <laughs> right? So they, they go hand in hand, and both are critically important, but we don't put one above the other. They're equally important in God's sight. And lastly, just another point here, another way that you may have fallen into a legalistic approach to God's word is this. When you lead with complaining and judgmentalism and slander and gossip and criticism towards others of their perspectives, before, before you lead with love and respect and truth and grace. I'm not saying that there's, there's not a time for criticism or, ju- or judgment. Actually, sometimes we have to, right? We always judge things according to God's word. We evaluate things spiritually according to God's word. We have to do that. That's important that we do that. But we don't We don't lead with that. We don't lead with criticism. We lead with love, understanding, truth, grace. You know, just a a few examples. You know, I I know right now, like, for instance, Alistair Begg's been blasted for his comments about a Christian's attending a transgendered wedding. Who who knows Alistair Begg personally in here? Anybody? No. Yeah, I, I... if Alistair's, if Alistair Begg's life is like this, right, and his comments, his sermon that he that that little comment was pulled from, I think it was a podcast, was like this. We take one little sound, sound bite, we take a little one minute thirty second clip, we pull it out, and then we say, "How dare he say that?" Right, and we take it completely out of context in in some ways. Now you can still, and we should, form an opinion about that issue. But let's understand the heart of someone. Let's also understand the heart of God, too, fully, before we just rush into a judgment. Um, we, we have to be careful about these things. I, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that he's right or wrong or anything else, but we just have to be careful. Same thing with that he gets a Super Bowl ad. Everybody's got a take on that. We should, we should have an open forum. Who wants to share about the ad? No, we're not going to. <laughs> you all would, would love to share about it. Some of you were like, I think it's awesome. Some of you are like, it's tearing down the church the worst thing. You know? All I'm saying is not to scrutinize or judge, but let's, let's hold our horses a little bit. Let's, um, let's give each other the benefit of the doubt. And then, once clearly and truly in the wrong, then we say, this has to get dealt with. We've got to talk about this. Okay, so... Um, does Jesus want his church to be known for slander, negativity, criticism, and judgmentalism? I don't think so. I don't think he wants us to be known for negativity. I don't think Jesus was like, you know what I want my church to be known for? I want them to be known for being complainers, negative, gossipers, slanders, and judgmentalists. That's what I want my church to be known for. And sadly, in a lot of ways, that's what the church is known for. Now, Part of that is just poor perception from the world, but part of that is our doing. Part of that is our traditions and our views of God's word and not finding the heart of Christ and living out the heart of Christ, but living out our pet ideas and our pet, you know, hearts. So God, I think, Jesus wants his church to be known for truth and love. He even calls us in Ephesians 4, Right? to unity, to building each other up, to encouraging, to patience, to kindness. And so let's, let's just be careful when it comes to our traditions and comes to our personal perspectives, politically or otherwise. 
we have to be very thoughtful about our traditions. Okay, so, um, so here's the complaint, right, to Jesus. Why don't your disciples do this? Let us take a cue from these Pharisees and these scribes to avoid this kind of a perspective. So our next point here is, um, as it relates to God's commands being greater than human tradition, is a focus on human tradition may look good to our eyes, but it is ugly, I would even say disgusting, to God's eyes when it specifically draws people away from his commands. So verses 6 and 7, um, here's where, where Jesus gets to the prophet Isaiah. He answered him, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines, human commands. Uh, first, a, a quick question for us to consider before moving on too quickly. Is Jesus being mean here by calling the Pharisees and scribes hypocrites? Like, Jesus, come on, man, maybe you should be a little more loving towards these guys, right? Like, I mean, come on, like, let's be, let's be a little nicer, right? I mean, he blasts them. He blasts them pretty good. And if you read Matthew chapter 23, that's a really kind of a fun chapter. <laughs> Have you read that one recently? Uh, if not, if you're interested in, in seeing the intensity of Jesus, um, he gets after the religious leadership. Is Jesus being mean? How, do, how should we understand this? No, I, I, don't, I don't believe so. Jesus has a general, it's general rule in dealing with people. Again, this is just kind of man's observation of Jesus's. Generally speaking, Jesus gives raw truth to the proud and he gives grace to the humble. That's just generally speaking how Jesus operates in his ministry. If someone is operating out of pride and self-righteousness and they need correction, Jesus is going to speak to them in such a way to hopefully motivate them into humility. Because you, don't, you can't deal humbly, you can't deal graciously with a proud person. Because what does that do? That only, that only fuels their domineering mentality and perspective. And that only fuels their self-righteousness. But Jesus gives them raw truth calls it like it is, like it actually is. Now, see, we have to be careful here. We can't be like, okay, Jesus did it, so I'm going to do it. Ah, we got to be a little careful. We don't have the knowledge that Jesus had, <laughs> right? Jesus knows hearts intimately, deeply, perfectly. Um, but can we be raw in giving truth to people that are proud and self-saturated and self-righteous? There is a time and a place. There is a time and a place for, for calling someone, hey, you're being a hypocrite right now. There's a time and a place for that, for sure. Okay, so what is Jesus actually saying here? Um, all right, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, which is actually in a very, very similar context, if you were to read chapter 29 of Isaiah. He talks about people honoring God with their lips. Now, I think this is really interesting because Jesus is getting at a principle here that when you say something that you don't mean, it's a lie. You're, you're lying when you say something that you don't mean, obviously. Pretending to be something or presenting an image of yourself that is not true is the same as being a liar. Because it's easy to pretend. And don't, and don't we do this? Right? I mean, think about it. Don't, don't we all pretend a little bit at least? N nobody's perfectly pure here, I don't think, in this. Because it's easy to pretend and it's comfortable to pretend, to put up a front and say this or that to make other people think that you're a certain way. But church, we've got to understand that that is repulsive in God's sight. It is absolutely repulsive in God's sight to say one thing and to act another way. To say, God, I love you, and then just to totally go off. And even in that, even, even in that moment, you know in your heart you don't actually love God. Now, it's distinct. It's different here because there's a time when we can say, God, I love you, and yet I am so broken, and yet I don't always feel like it, and yet I struggle with this, or I, I'm wrestling with that sin right now, God, but God, I love you. And you can say that legitimately to God. Or that song, I Surrender All, right? Sometimes we sing that song. That's a tough song to sing, isn't it, sometimes? Because you're like, well, uh, do I surrender all? I don't know if I do. Like, I want to, but I, but I don't. Right? There's a tension in that song and in songs like that. But it's the hearts to God that says, God, this is my desire. I want to give it all to you. Right? That's, that's what God is looking for in us. He doesn't just want us to say 
God, I love you, or, you know, I'm all about your kingdom, or whatever, whatever. He wants us to live it out. God desires genuine heart obedience, not words void of action. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, the, the, the classic Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, God giving instruction to, to Joshua said, Only be very careful. He's, he's speaking to a, a few of the tribes who lived to, uh, east of the Jordan River. He says, Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to keep his commands and to cling to him, to serve him with all your heart, soul. All your heart and with all your soul. Cling to him, serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. God, throughout the whole scriptures, and we could pull from 20 or 30 other places of the Bible, where it talks about how God's desire is heart-oriented obedience, genuine obedience, not just, yeah, God, I love you, right? Or I'm going to do my prayers now. I'm going I'm to give God my praying. I'm going I'm to give him my 10 minutes of, in the morning and just do that. And then the rest of the day, just who cares? I'm just going to forget that. God wants us to, to apply the truth of who he says he is and live it, live it out and actually love people and actually be patient with each other. And actually flee from sin. God actually wants us to flee from sin, not just say that we do. Right? I mean, that's what God desires. He wants us to actually live out his word. Why? Because he loves us. It's best for us to do that. It would be silly for us to say, okay, creator of the universe, you give me these instructions. You, the one who created me uniquely, you know me better than anyone else. You know me perfectly, intimately. And you have given me how I should live. The best way, your design for how humans should live. And then we're just like, you know what, but, you know what, that's kind of boring. I want to do things my way. We're only harming ourselves, right? We've got to understand that. Now, the problem is, is if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, the problem with that is that we are just like Adam and Eve. Remember when, when they sinned? What did they do? They hid and they blamed. They hid from God, trying to, per, trying to hide from God. That's, that's really cute, Adam and Eve. That's fun, right? Maybe God won't find us, right? Like, mm, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to work. So they tried to hide from God. And then when God found them out, what did they do? They shifted the blame. Oh, it wasn't my fault. You know, the woman you gave me. Adam, just a few minutes ago, you were saying how amazing she was. And now you're like, oh, no, yeah, it's all her fault. And then what did she do? Oh, that, that, that serpent, you know? I wouldn't have done it if he didn't tell me. Like, no, actually, you would have, eventually. The problem with us is that we think in our fallen, sinful brains, we think that either we can get away with it, or we think that somehow it'll be worse if we actually live out God's truth. And, and sometimes for good reason, right? Because we have this, we have this thing hardwired in us, like a, a pain intolerance. That's from God, right? Who, anybody, I mean, most of us, most normal people don't enjoy pain. That's actually a psychological condition. That's a problem if you enjoy pain. Like you should you know, seek help for that if that's a thing. Um, most of us flee from pain. We don't want to experience pain, right? And to be found out of sin or to be found out of of some way of ignoring God's truth, whether it's by God or by each other, we run away from that. And that's why we hide. That's why we put on the masks. That's why we pretend when we come together on Sunday morning, we say, oh, how are you doing? Oh, everything's great. Yeah, it's, it's all good. I just yelled at my wife and called her a bleep, bleep, bleep. But other than that, everything's great. No, I did it. <laughs> that was last week. Last week, Caleb will tell you. You should talk to Caleb about it. He'll tell you last week how Daddy came home. That was that was interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, like we've got a. There's a sense in which we don't want to share the ugliness of our hearts because it's going to cause pain. Because now I'm going to be found out. People are going to think um, this, whatever, whatever, and I don't want to be judged like that. I don't want to be thought of like that. But, but. The problem when we say something and then live a different way is we are, we are distancing ourselves from God 
and we're distancing ourselves from each other. We're killing intimacy, we're killing love, we're killing uh, grace and acceptance from being able to flourish. And so we need to be a type of people that mean what we speak, that believe what we say, and believe the right things, first of all. Okay, on to the, the last point here. Human tradition seeks to benefit us more than honor God in his commands. And that, that's a problem. So we get into this story. Jesus now is getting into this thing. Some of you were probably like, what was he talking about? Let's read it, and then we'll try to unpack it. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say... If anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit that you might have received from me is Corbin, that is, an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. Okay, so Jesus sets the scene. He's, he's using one example of many, right? They've got, he's, he's like, I could choose one of like 20 things here, but I'm just going to pick this one out. And it's based on the command to honor father and mother. Right? This is this one of the command, the ten command, one of the big ten, right, so to speak. Jesus says this is a big deal. And he even to even a bigger he, he's really emphasizing it not just by referring to the Ten Commandments, but also referring to one of the one of the more obscure laws, one of the you know, not one of the ten. One of the laws says that whoever speaks evil of your father and mother must be put to death. That was an actual law. If, if a child was unruly and they were cursing their parents, they could be stoned. That, who wants to live in Israel back at that time? <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if any of us would have survived. Um, no, but you know what? When you have high standards, what happens? You live to it, don't you? And, and aren't we seeing that in maybe, in, in maybe in our justice system as a society? Right? When you lower standards... All of a sudden, lawlessness can abound because, oh, okay, a little slap on the wrist, no big deal. Anyways, to the point of Jesus here. Jesus is saying, okay, it's a big deal to honor your parents, he's saying. But you, religious leaders, you tell people, right, who have said, okay, I'm good. So Corbin, what is Corbin? Corbin was just simply uh, an offering that was designated, uh, a sum of money that was designated for God or to God, to, to temple worship, right? And so these people would, and they were taught by the Pharisees and the scribes, they were taught to do this, to get out of providing for their aging parents. As parents age, it's the children's responsibility to support and help the parents, right? Because maybe the parents did a little bit for you growing up. Maybe they provided for you for all, you know, 16, 20, 20, 25 years of your life, right? And so you should provide for your parents. But then they were taught, these people were being taught to say, oh, no, no, the savings that I have is, is Corbin. It's a gift devoted to God and for his temple. So sorry, Mom and Dad, I don't have anything left for you guys because I, I only have enough for this, and that's all devoted to God and his work, so I can't. And this, the, the Pharisees and scribes were actually teaching this kind of a mentality to people. And, and I wonder why, right? And, and as, a, as, a, as a church leader, I can say this. I wonder if it's not, man, Look, look at how the budget's doing this year. Boy, look at the temple collection. It's really gone through the roof this, this year. And there's a sense of what is it that I gain from greater collections? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I keep reading between the lines. That seems to be potentially a, a real situation. So the religious leaders were using their religion. They were using these traditions that they came up with with a completely wrong understanding. And they build these ideas, they build these doctrines to lead people astray from the heart of God rather than helping people to actually live out the real command of God, which is to honor your parents. Do you think God wants a temple treasury filled to the brim or does he want children to love their parents well? What does he want more? Does he want sacrifice or does he want obedience? 
That might be in the Bible somewhere, Fred. Yeah, I think it is. And then he says at the end here, you do many similar things. See, I wonder if this is also to teach us that maybe we have one or two or maybe even five or ten human traditions or perspectives that are getting in the way of honoring God. So, you know, just a question for us to consider by way of application this morning as we, you know, at least leave this section and then we'll just briefly touch on the last half. How do we guard against making human traditions ultimate things? How do we keep ourselves from sliding into our our perspectives rather than God's heart? How do we guard ourselves here? And it's the same application, it's the same answer that we give week after week after week. Some of you probably are already anticipating it. Um, we need to know God's Word, right? Just a couple, a couple illustrations for us to think about. We need to, to steep our souls in God's Word, right? Our, our hearts. Baptize our souls into the Word of God. Immerse our minds into the Word of God. Part of the problem is, is that we don't have our eyes in the right place. Spiritual eyes, that is. Right? We, we, are, we are looking at other things. We're looking at maybe ourselves, how we can protect ourselves and our reputation or our identity or whatever else, rather than asking the tougher question of, God, what would you have me to do? God, what is your heart? How can I live out your heart here? Because, in, and I'm going to specifically like go here because I think it's really important. And actually, we were talking about this uh, yesterday at our leadership team meeting. We were, we were talking about the importance of confession. Like, we are called, we are called. Like, God says, do this. Confess your sins to one another. And, and I've touched up on this a few weeks ago, too. When's the last time you've confessed sin to somebody? Because part of your human tradition, part of the human tradition that we want to set up for ourselves is that my reputation is of highest value. But it's not. God says his word is of highest value. And part of the word of God is to say, I need to say, I'm sorry. That person that you're not forgiving, that you're holding on to bitterness with, you're holding on to resentment, you've got to let it go. God's calling you to let it go. Do whatever it takes to let it go. That secret sin that you don't want anybody to know of, let someone know. Say, I need help. God forgive me. And then, brother or sister in Christ, would you help me? Hold me accountable. Pray for me. Church, these are the things that we've got to do. Why? Because God is calling us to live in holiness. Those perspectives that you have that are not aligned with the Scriptures, Oh, that we would steep our minds in the scriptures so that we would develop God's heart, God's mindset. So let's work towards that. I love the EFCA mantra. One of the traditions of EFCA that is very healthy and, and it still stands in good health, which is this mantra, where stands it written? Where stands it written? Do you have a belief system? Do you have a thought? Do you have a, a habit? Do you have a, a, a focal point for your life? Well, where stands it written? Where do you get it from? Is it from the heart of God? Is it from the scriptures? Do you have a good, solid, biblical base with a correct interpretation for it? Or is it just your own little kind of thing that you, you like, just naturally or culturally? There's been all this cultural appropriation that has come into the church, and we've got to guard against it, church. We've got to guard against that. Okay, um, just a few minutes on this second half, because our, our hearts are evil and need to be cleansed, right? We've got, to, we've got to continue on this theme, because Jesus continues on this theme, right? Because what does he get at here? Starting in verse 14, let's just read the whole text, make a couple points. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean, which is an interesting point there. 
And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within and defile a person. So I, I think we understand the idea, right, that by like physically eating germs, we are not unfit to worship God, <laughs> right? Are, are we there? We got that one down? Okay, good. So to physically take in germs, that's not a problem. I think, I think we've got it. So what is it that Jesus is saying here? He's saying our hearts are evil and they need to be cleansed. There are all sorts of things that come from our hearts, and what comes from our hearts, that's what defiles us. Whether they're spoken, whether they're acted on, whether they're thought even. When, it, when the thought is entertained, right? I'm not saying if a thought comes up, but when it's entertained and you dwell on that thought and you meditate on that thought, that can be sin. Make no mistake about it. God's word multiple times says to dwell on things above, to think about things that are pure, true, right, and so forth. So it's not just your speech and your actions, it's also your thoughts. But these things, Jesus says, comes from your heart. They come from the essence of who you are. I love what Jeremiah the prophet says in chapter 17, verse 9. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, can my three guys come up and help me for a second? I got three guys that are going to come up and help me. A little illustration here. Because there's three types of people this morning in life. And um, how about you guys stand over here? That'd be awesome. Three types of people. Um, right, you, you, we, we've all heard the, there's two different types of people in life. Well, there's actually three different types of people in life. Okay, Here's, here it is. Um, Josh, you get to be our spiritually dead person. Okay, um, poor Josh. Um, sorry, Josh. Um, he's not actually, so we praise God for that. But, um, okay, so the first type of person is someone who is spiritually dead. The, the Apostle Paul says that if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't believe the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, that Jesus is God and that he did that, then you're spiritually dead if you, if you deny that, if you don't believe. John 3.16, right? Whosoever believes will have eternal life. Poor Josh, he doesn't believe. He does, but in this scenario, pretend scenario, he doesn't believe. Our second kind of guy, Paul, right? Paul believes in Jesus. He says, man, Jesus died for my sins. God, would you forgive me? I'm sorry. You know what? And you know what else Paul does? Paul says, you know what, God, I, I want to I live for you. God, I'm sorry, you know, yesterday I had, I had that thought, or man, the other day I said that to somebody, and I'm really sorry, God. And Paul seeks to live in obedience to God. He doesn't do it perfectly, right? <laughs> no, I mean, like none of us do, right? Um, he doesn't do it perfectly, but he seeks to do it. He makes mistakes, but then he runs to God for forgiveness. If he, if he hurts somebody else, he tries to make restitution there. And then our last guy over here, Joseph, he's, he's also spiritually alive. He's not spiritually dead like Josh. He's a spiritual dead. He came to know Jesus. He says, man, Jesus, you died for my sins. I trust in you. I believe in what you did for me. The only problem is with Joseph, as his little, <laughs> little one comes up here. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, okay, here we go. As, as Joseph, uh, at first I thought that was Joseph's, but then I'm like, wait, that's not Joseph's child. <laughs> Um, but Joseph, he's, he's alive spiritually. He knows God. He trusts in Jesus Christ, but he's conditionally living day to day, hiding from God, hiding from others. He's allowing these self-indulgences and these adulteries and these murders of the heart, hatred, right? These evil thoughts. Oh man, he got a buddy. I love it. So he's living conditionally, according to his desires, and he's hiding from God. So the goal of life, right, is first to move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That's the first goal of life, is that we've got to come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. I want to be like Paul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't we all want to be like Paul? I mean, come on. So, and how that can happen is simply, it's simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Like, really, if, if that's anyone in here, if you're spiritually dead and you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know things, I don't know God, I can't relate to God, 
Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Trust in him. Trust that he died on the cross for your sins. Now, the goal of life doesn't stop there, though. Because once you become spiritually alive, you, have two different, you can be in two different conditions. You can live in your life in Jesus Christ, or you can deny that. And you can actually live for yourself and fool everybody. Now, this, this is tricky, and there's a lot of theological considerations here. But we want to move, we want to move towards, towards Jesus conditionally, daily, every single day. Keep seeking Jesus. Keep seeking him and his will for our lives. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, we make it our aim to be pleasing. So we don't hide our sin from God. All right, thanks, guys. Actually, you, you could probably stay up here because we're going to play. We're going to be done. Um, so we want to move towards Jesus, right? We don't want to live based on our human desires. As Jesus says here, we want to seek a defilement-free life to live according to God's truth. And we're never going to do this perfectly. We're not, we're, not, we're not all going to be like Paul. Always, right? We're not always going to constantly live in the middle of God's will. We're always living in forgiveness. We're always living in love and grace and constantly doing all the right things, making the right choices. We're going to make mistakes. But the goal is not to slide into living like, who is the last person? Joseph. <laughs> we don't want to slide into compromise and then hide, and then blame, and then judge other people because I'm going to focus on the things that I do really well and the things that I don't do very well. I'm just going to shove that down, down here. And the defilement is still within you. The only way the defilement leaves you is when you say to God, oh God, cleanse me, forgive me. Now, you're still in the faith of Jesus Christ. You're just, you're just not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're denying the Spirit. You're, you're giving the Holy Spirit the kick. You're saying, I don't want you in my life. I think I can operate better than you, Jesus. That's essentially what you're saying when you say, I'm going to ignore certain parts of my life. Maybe you're good on this whole list. Maybe you're good on evil thoughts and sexual immoralities and thefts and murders and adulteries and greed and evil actions and deceit and self-indulgence and envy. But boy, you've got a tendency to slander people and to accuse and to judge. But you're like, but you know what? I'm good on these other ones. I'm, I'm, all, I'm fine. No, actually, Jesus wants you to be completely whole, seeking him daily. We all have things that we specifically struggle with. Let's lay them at the feet of Jesus. Let's talk to someone about it. And if you don't know where to start, Josh and I are here. The other elders are here. We'd love to talk with you. Um, if you're, if you're a, a woman in, in, in the room, we encourage you to talk to one of our wives. Um, for, for counsel. I mean, we, we would love to be there with you as well. Um, but let's talk to each other about these things. Let's, let's look at each other in the eyes and say, you know what, can I talk with you sometime? Because I, I think I just need, I need, I need some help. I need some accountability. I need some, some brotherhood or, or some sisterhood to help me through this. Because I want to honor God. And so let's take this to the Lord in prayer. Um, just, and let's just remember to Steep our minds in God's word. Because that is the place of freedom, church. That is the place of wholeness. That is the place of obedience, is when we set ourselves underneath the authority of God. He's the one who knows, not us. So let's seek him with all that we are, even right now, and commit to that for the rest of our days. Lord God, we come before you as broken people. You know, we, we struggle. We have issues in our lives, God. You know, you say, as, as Jesus, you said today that like, man, there's all sorts of evils that come from our hearts. But God, thank you for saving us in Jesus Christ, for giving us new hearts, for showing mercy and compassion to us so that we could have relationship with you. But God, many of us have been Christians here for a long time and maybe some of us have gotten into the, the mire and the muck of life and we've let things slide in our hearts, we've denied your commands, we've particularly maybe pushed things down into the cracks and crevices and corners of our heart and we like, that, we like it that way. God, would you, would you bring conviction upon our hearts? God, help us to see the need that we have for confession for repentance, for, for restitution, for forgiveness. 
God, would you lead us to those places? And would you also lead us to guard against setting up for ourselves these, these human perspectives and traditions that are not based on your word, but they're really our own thinking. And it's a flawed thinking. So God, expose those areas of our lives and help us Help us to, to lead with compassion, to lead with love like you did, and then to correctly judge when it's appropriate. So we commit these things to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.